So I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to jump right into God's Word. Father, we love you th this evening, God. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that every promise you've ever given or expressed has always and forever will be yes and amen. We ask that today you open our hearts to mold us and shape us to be more like you. In Jesus' name. Come on, in the church said? Amen. amen. Awesome. Well, I grew, up, I grew up in South Florida. I, I, I played a lot of sports growing up. Uh, some sports I tried I was terrible at, but um, I played baseball growing up because that's God's sport. Obviously, it's in the Bible somewhere. I haven't found it yet, but just trust me, okay? So I played baseball growing up. But when I would, I remember being a kid and getting home from school, and one of the first things that I would do is I would open the door and I'd take my backpack off and I'd just throw it in the doorway, shut the door, and take off to go play. And, and, and back in those days, when we wanted to play, we used to use these right here. Y'all remember these? Legs? Because now we use thumbs. But when I was growing up, we used a lot of legs. We used legs more than thumbs growing up. You know, when we wanted to find our friends, we would just look down the street and go, there's five bikes right there on house 3344. That's where everybody's at, and that's where we would go. But growing up, we played all kinds of things. We played um, tag, real, real tag, you know what I mean? We played, we played baseball in the middle of the street with a little tennis ball. It was all fun and games. We played football. By the way... By the way, if you're a student in here, let me just help you out for a minute, okay? If you're playing outside and your parents go, hey, come inside, I would really highly recommend that you listen to them because they might save you from a catastrophe. Like my friend Hector, we were playing outside playing football, and Hector's mom goes, Hector, hey, ven pa'ca, that means come inside. You're gonna learn a little Spanish today. Ven pa'ca, come inside. So Hector comes, Hector's like, Hector looks at her and just pretends like he didn't hear anything. You better be careful messing with Hispanic moms. I'm just going to tell you right now. The very next play, Hector goes to grab the ball, and he turns, and the fence, the, the little uh, parts of the fence, they catch his nose right here, right? Now, you would think that a mother would come out very compassionate and go, oh, son, how are you doing? Everything okay? She came out, she said, I told you to come inside. If you would have came inside when I told you, your face wouldn't look like it is right now. Now hurry up and get in there before I give you more reasons to cry. Like that's how I grew up. All right, I'm not saying it's right. Don't judge me. That was not my mom. I don't got time to tell you about my mom. Okay, but that's how I grew up. And we played all kinds of sports. Now if you played sports outside and you were having fun, here's one thing that you know, everybody always picked captains. They always picked the captain. And the captain would assess who was available and they would pick depending on how they felt. You might not get picked or you might get picked. You know what's, the, what's one of the worst things about playing outdoor sports and having two captains and you're one of the people that have to get picked? What's one of the worst things that can happen? You get picked last. Because when you get picked last, they're telling you but not really telling you that you suck. Can you say suck at restoration? Okay, good, okay. I should have checked that first. They're telling you you suck. Now, the only thing worse than being picked last is not being picked at all. Because when you're not picked, it says a lot about what people think about you. And it's crazy what we do in life to be chosen, to be picked, to be included in a tribe of people. It's crazy. Today's message is titled, Chosen. Because today what I want to talk to you about is how God has chosen you. I had a friend tell me this story. It was early in the morning. I was getting ready to go to work. And he said, hey, man, you won't believe what happened. I said, well, what's going on? He said, I woke up this morning. I was uh, taking my son to school. 
and I grabbed this backpack. And when I grabbed this backpack, I was like, man, this feels pretty heavy. So I started looking through the backpack, and I zip it up, and I'm like, what is happening? He had like five or six basketball jerseys in his backpack, like legit authentic basketball jerseys, one or two signed by actual players. And he goes, hey, bud, what are you doing? He said, oh, dad, it's not a big deal. He said, well, what do you mean it's not a big deal? You've got all these jerseys in your backpack, and you're heading to school. What's going on? He goes, well, there's this group of kids in school. It's the cool kid club. And they, they said that if I want to be part of their team and part of their club, that I have to give them something. So I told them, hey, I have some jerseys I can bring. And so I have this collection of jerseys that I'm going to bring so that I can be chosen and be included in their club. And here's what they told me. So it's all good, Dad. They said that I bring them the jerseys and they'll, and, and they'll trade me my jersey for a stick of gum and then I can be part of the team. And doesn't that sound ridiculous? I mean, when you hear me express that, you go, why would anybody want to do that? And the truth is that even as adults, we do very extreme things just to feel chosen and included. And as crazy as that example is of trading something so valuable, like a jersey for a stick of gum, it doesn't even come close to the beautiful exchange of Jesus Christ when he says, I will exchange all that I am and all that I have and the value of who I am for your present state. And it's a beautiful thing that God does that because he's chosen us. Because here's what I want to convey to you this evening. Since the beginning of time, God's desire is to choose you to be included in his family and his lineage, his desire. And it's not something that we earn. Thank the Lord that we didn't have to earn it because we wouldn't get it if we did. And then if he gave it to us, we'd mess a lot up. Look at what it says in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 37, 26, it says this. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers. And I will put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. This is God expressing how he's always wanted to choose you. When you read this great book, and you get to the New Testament, and you start reading about the person of Jesus and who Jesus is, one of the things that you find Jesus doing almost immediately when he begins his ministry, he goes, hey, you, what are you doing? Drop your nets and come follow me. Jesus himself understood that the choosing of a group and a collection of people have great intent and purpose. I, I, would, I would almost say that God even chose you in this season to be a part of the growth and the momentum and the building of what you call Restoration Church. Like you're here for a purpose. And we see this in Jesus. Now, here's a unique thing about being chosen, and we all know this, right? If you join a company, if you start a business, if you join a community, a tribe, or a team, there are expectations with every team. A set of rules, a set of guidelines, a set of principles. And those sets of guidelines and those sets of principles are there to help mature and grow the collective of the team. Are we going to work together? Is there going to be teamwork? Are we going to share values? Are the expectations going to be the same? But every team has expectations. And it's no different when we think about the team of Jesus and being chosen as part of his family. There are expectations for you. There are virtues that God has uniquely described in the Bible that are meant to strengthen you, to give you life, 
The word is Zoe, abundant, overflowing life. So much so that you can't contain the blessing that he has, and you're almost forced to give some of it away. That when you're part of God's team, there are expectations. I, I, want, you to, I want you to read this with me in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Listen to what God says. He says this, But you are a chosen people. I want you to say this with me before I continue. Say, he's talking to me. I want, you, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you are chosen. No, but say it like you mean it. Like, look at him right in the eyes and be like, you're chosen. Look at your other neighbor and say, I'll let you get in for a dollar. <laughs> you didn't choose you, but I'll let you get in for a dollar. But listen to what it says. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do you know who he's, who he's describing? You. He's describing you. He's describing what he sees when he sees you. When he sees you, he sees a royal priesthood. What's a royal priesthood? It means this, that the moment that you made the decision to surrender your life to Jesus and he chose you to be in relationship with him, God sees you as somebody who has direct communication with him, like a priest does. Then he says this, that you are a holy nation. And I love that he uses the word holy nation because the word used for nation in this text describes a group of people who at some point were strangers to the covenant of God and now have been included. Do you see this? This is what God says about you, that you're chosen for that, that you're God's special possession. You're God's special possession. I, I, need, I need more walkway right here, Pastor Craig. <laughs> No, I want to say this really quick. Have, have, you ever, have you ever had somebody talk about something that was yours? Like something that you really worked on, that you really loved and cared for, and you were really proud of, and you come in the room, you're like, hey, and they're like, what is that? Right? And, and listen to what Scripture says here, that you're God's special possession. And here's what I mean by that, and maybe this is a good moment just to pause here for a minute. If you're God's special possession, I would encourage you to be mindful of how you speak about yourself because you're not yours. You're the Lord's. And I wonder sometimes if God's like, wait, who are you talking about? Because you ain't going to talk about my kids like that. Uh, boy, wind you up real quick. But you're God's special possession. And the reason that God has done this is because he has rescued you out of darkness so that in everything that you do in your life, you can be a declaration of his goodness. So here's, here's where things get a little complicated, all right? A little messy, okay? As God's chosen people, how should you and I live our lives? What should we do? What things should we put into practice? What should our outlook be? What should be the goal, the metric in which we are trying to achieve to be more like Jesus? And here's what I love about Scripture. You don't have to guess it outlines it for you. See, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Colossians, he wrote to a group of people who were Gentile believers, meaning that at some point in their life, they felt like they were not chosen by God. And when God, and when, and when God uses Paul to write this letter to the church in Colossians, he speaks to them 
as people who are now chosen, but at one point in their life were strangers. And he outlines for them how they should live. I want you and I to read that together. So let's go over to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start off in verse 12. Say this with me. I have been chosen by God. Okay, we need the other uh, 85 people that are in here to, to do it too. Ready? I have been chosen by God. So we're, we're like almost there. Remember what I told you that my ear, the Hispanic thing and the Latin thing. You ready? So can we dial it up just a little bit more? Is that okay? Is that, okay? Is that cool? Okay. I'm asking for permission. Okay. I don't know. I don't want to mess anything up here. I might be the last guest speaker to ever come to Restoration Church. I'm going to go out with a bang. You ready? I have been chosen by God. Yes. All right. Let's get back to the Bible. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 says this. Therefore, therefore, as God's chosen people, who, who is he talking about? Great. All right, we're, we're on the same page here. Okay. Therefore, it's God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have grievances against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. And here's what Paul is saying, and I love the disposition of this verse because it presents a beautiful cause and effect. And it means this. Look, you don't have to be chosen if you don't want to. You can just do whatever you want, live life however you want. And here's what I want to tell you with all my heart. Good luck. It ain't going to work. How do I know? I, unfortunately, I have too much experience in that field. I've tried it. Terrible idea. But what Paul is saying is this. Now that you're chosen, as a chosen individual... Dearly loved by God, favored by him, clothe yourself with these virtues. As a chosen person, live life in such a way that when somebody sees you, these are the things that they see. Because you have been chosen, you will live life this way. It's not you'll live life this way to be chosen. It's out of God's choosing that you live out these virtues. It's a cause and effect thing. Do y'all, do anybody in here remember uh, doing, oh my goodness, so much trouble right now. Y'all remember these little third, fourth, fifth grade uh, science projects that you used to have to do? You remember these? Some of you have probably had to do some for your kids. I want you to take that question that I just gave you, and I said it to you really early, and I just want you to put it on the shelf for a minute, okay? Just take it, boom. You're going to lay it right here on the, ch on the shelf, okay? I've got another question for you. Y'all remember Snowmageddon when it hit Texas and we all almost died? Y'all yeah. remember this? Right, like we, in my house, we almost died. And it was my fault. Julie, for four days, I'm not exaggerating, one, two, three, four days. Hey, babe, um, you think we should leave the water running a little bit? I said, why? I said, for what? She's like, well, I think maybe, maybe, maybe the lines will freeze. I said, babe, ain't no, nothing freezing in this house. It's a classic Latin thing. Psst, everything's going to be fine. Right? Four days. Multiple times for four days. She probably told me 16 times. Okay. The day of the freeze, I wake up, I forgot that everything had happened. And I go to the kitchen, I'm like, I'm like, huh, I ain't got no water. That's weird. It's like something must be wrong with this faucet. I go to the bathroom. I say, huh, there's no water. And I had this brilliant idea. I said, you know what we should have done? We should have left the water running. Just a little bit. Not a lot, but just a little bit. Julie's sleeping, right? And I go over there and I go, 
He goes, what? I said, hey, we don't have any water. <laughs> you ever had a memory hit you so hard, uh, like you almost fall over on your back? And she goes, really? And when she said that, okay, my mind replayed the 16 million times that she told me we should have left the water running. And I was like, oh, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. And I left. And I left. And I just left, right? Because I just leave. I just walk out of stuff. I just like, you got it. I'm, I'm out, right? So we lost electricity. We lost power. We lost everything. We went to a friend's house and spent some time with them at, at, at their house. They let us in. He has a lot of faith. He let four additional women come to his house. And he has two girls. And we just did the best of it. Well, while we were there, I had the craziest stomach ache. I'm talking about crazy pain. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and you're going to judge me for it, but, but let me say this really quick. It's, it's crazy what you do when you're in pain. When you're hurting, really, 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 really bad ideas sound really good. Like you'll try stuff when you're in pain that when you're in your right mind, you would never touch. Would you, would you agree with me? So I'm like, oh, dude, my, my stomach hurts so much. Man, my stomach hurts so much. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And my buddy goes, hey, I can help you. And I go, great, what do you got? He said, come on, let's go to the kitchen. So we go to the kitchen. And here's what he brought out, okay? Here's what he brought out. A spoon that was the size of a ladle. You know what a ladle is? Okay. A glass of water and a box of baking soda. Now, here's what he told me to do. Now, before you judge me, I want to remind you that I was in excruciating pain in the middle of Snowmageddon. I thought I was going to die. True story. So he goes, here's what we're going to do. You're going to take the baking soda. You're going to put it on the spoon. You're going to eat all of the baking soda. Drink some water. And this is where things get complicated. And then, and then he says, and then he says, and then you got to go like this. Like, this is fa- these are facts. These are facts. And for a minute, I was like, he's trying to kill me. And then I was like, oh, I'm in so much pain. Give me. Boom. Drop. So you remember that volcano project in fifth grade you did with your kids? Y'all know what I'm talking about? What? Tell me the ingredients. Tell me the ingredients. Water, baking soda, and food coloring. I didn't have the food coloring, but I was like, you just want to be to me a life-size human science project at your house. And you know the rest of the story. But here's what I'm trying to say. Cause and effect. It happened no matter what I did. And what Paul is saying is this, is that the moment you have been chosen by God, there should be an irresistible urge in your life to live out these virtues. You can fight them if you want, but sooner or later the strength overcomes your ability to withhold. And this is what Paul is saying. When you surrender your life to Jesus and you have been chosen by him, inside of you there should be a bubbling up that comes up. Something that you cannot resist having compassion and kindness and forgiveness and long-suffering and patience. This is what Paul is saying. And you and I must clothe ourselves with this. It is a decision that has to be made. Nobody's going to do it for you. So here's what I want to do. I want us to talk through some of these virtues. And as we talk through some of these virtues, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to do two things, and I'm going to tell you what they are right now so you can be prepared. Number one, I'm going to define them for you. The reason that I'm going to define them for you is because if I use the word compassion, you might have a definition 
for compassion that is not synonymous with the biblical definition for compassion. And we're not trying to work off personal definitions. We're trying to work off biblical definitions. So I'm going to define it for you. The second thing that I'm going to do after I define it and we talk through it, I'm going to ask you a very important question, which is this. What are you going to do in your life to be able to put what you've heard right now in this moment into action? Because this is a confusing part of the gospel. The gospel is not a matter of listening. It's a matter of doing. This is why in James 1.22 it says this, do not be deceived. Do not merely listen to the word and so be deceived. Do what it says. The kingdom of God is a matter of doing what you heard. Not just thinking and contemplating and twiddling thumbs. It's a matter of doing. So I'm going to ask you this question after every one of these virtues. What are you going to do in your life to put this into practice? Because to not put it into practice after, after hearing it, it's just as good as having never heard it. You know, you know, Jesus gives this parable in the New Testament, and he talks about a house that was built on shifting sand, that the wind came and the storm came and the floods came and the house broke down. And he said that there was a man who built his house on a rock and it withstood the storm. And this is the distinction that he makes, the only distinction in that parable. The difference is, is that the man that built his house on a rock didn't just hear the word, he did the word. So that's what this is about. You're going to come into a worship experience every Sunday. God's going to speak to you through the worship. He's going to speak to you through somebody that you might meet in the lobby or an usher or a greeter. He's going to speak to you through a message. And it's not just to tickle your ears. It's to give you tools and assets that you can put into practice so that when you leave this building, you can be a reflection of who he is everywhere that your feet touch. That's what the kingdom is about. I want you to say this with me. I am, I am. a doer. Of the word. We're going to say it one more time. Come on. I am a doer of the word. And why are you a doer of the word? Because you're chosen. Because you're chosen. So here's the first one that I want to point out. We're not, we're not going to go through the entire list, but I'm going to share some with you. Here's the first one. As a chosen vessel by God, you are called to live a life of compassion. What is biblical compassion? Biblical compassion is this. Compassion means that you feel an emotion of sympathy, empathy, and mercy towards others so strong that you must respond with action. That is compassion. Compassion is you looking at somebody's condition and going, I have to do something about it. I have to. It's not a matter of just reserving yourself. It's a matter of doing something about it. When you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus was moved with compassion and what did Jesus do? Jesus did ministry. It says that Jesus looked at the multitude and they were hungry and he fed them. They say that they brought to Jesus those, those that were sick and he was moved with compassion and he healed them. He comforted those who were going through hardship. He wrestled with principalities and power to return to you the dominion and authority that God has always wanted you to do. And why did he do that? Because he was moved by compassion. Compassion is an incredible asset and tool that God has given you. For you to feel something so deep that you go, I'm not waiting for anybody else to do something about it. I'm doing it myself. That's compassion. Some of the best conversations that I like having are these. I'll be in the lobby and somebody go, hey, Pastor, can I talk to you for a minute? I say, yeah, what's going on? They go, hey, you know, John, and his car broke down and he got a flat tire. And, um, and, and I'm about to say, well, well, how can we help him? And they go, oh, no, no, we already took care of it. 
We already took care of it, compassion. Imagine if you lived your life moved by compassion. Like not waiting for a hero to arrive, but you are the hero. You are the answer. You are the one that shows up with a mighty force to make a difference in somebody's life. But you're called to live a life of compassion. And why? Because you have been chosen by God. What moves you? What do you have sympathy for, empathy for? What do you want to show mercy towards? Now, here's the question. You ready? Here's the question. I told you I was going to ask you a question. Here's the question. Here's the question. Monday's coming. What are you going to do on Monday to express compassion? What are you going to do? Practically speaking, you have a list of people that you know, neighbors, coworkers, family members. How can you in your life make the decision to clothe yourself with compassion as a chosen individual by God? Practically speaking, I would encourage you in times like this, you're writing and you're jotting down and you go, you know what, I can do this and I can do that and I can do this. Because if you're moved with compassion, the kingdom is advanced and it is evidence of God's goodness in somebody's life. Some of you that are in here today are only in here today because somebody was moved with compassion and invited you or reached out to you or sent you the encouraging text or whatever it is that they did to remind you that God still loves you and he's still with you and for you. Compassion moves mountains. But God has called you to live a life of compassion. Here's the second thing that I want to talk about, which is this, kindness. We're called to clothe ourselves with kindness. Well, what is kindness? What is biblical kindness? Biblical kindness is this. It is a disposition and behavior marked by benevolence, gentleness, and a genuine concern for the well-being of others. That's what kindness means. It means that you... You do random acts of generosity towards others. You know what the beautiful thing is about, uh, about kindness is? You can do stuff for people just because. Isn't that crazy? There's no law governing that. You don't have to wait for somebody's birthday to be kind to them. Or their anniversary. Or graduation. Or something big happening in their life. Kindness can be expressed at any moment and at any time. I would almost say this, that some of us have been knocking on doors trying to open them, but holding the key of kindness still in your pocket. And God's like, if you would just reach down in there and be a little kind, your future would be unlocked. Your future would be unlocked. But kindness is an important asset. It's an important disposition that you and I should have. Now, here's where things get a little tricky because compassion and kindness sound very similar, don't they? But they're not because compassion is this. Compassion is an emotional response to somebody's suffering. You see somebody, man, they're going through such a hard time. I move to help them. What can I do? I'm being compassionate about their condition. And then you extend a hand to help. Kindness is not like that. Kindness... Is, is random acts of generosity that is independent of somebody's condition. And it's something that you can do at any time and at any place. I want you to repeat this with me. I am called, I am called to, be kind. to be kind. So here's the question. You ready? I told you. Here it comes. You ready? What are you going to do on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday to demonstrate kindness? I had, I had a friend who, he was in the world of finance, and he was, he was a new employee on the firm. And him and I are talking, and he says to me this, right, watch. 
He says, man, I'm so, dis man, I'm so upset, I'm so mad. There's this guy that's been here with a company. He's been here for 25 years. He's got a huge book of business. He doesn't ever want to talk to me. He always complains. Everything, every exchange that him and I are negative. And I go, well, well great, when's the last time you did something nice to him, for him? <laughs> you could have thought I was speaking blasphemy. He was like, what? Do something nice. Do you know this guy? I said, I don't want to hear about how he is. Because you, you complaining does not conform him or change him, or inspire him to be different. But if you can find a way to break through that heart with an act of kindness, I'm telling you, God will exceed your expectation. Oh, I don't know about that, Pastor. You've never been in this position, and you don't know what I'm talking about. I said, well, just try it. Just try it. I said, why don't you do this? Find out what kind of coffee he likes, and the next time you show up to the office, bring him coffee. And then put it on your schedule, and you bring him coffee once or twice a week. And he goes, this ain't going to work, but I'm going to try it. I go, what do you have to lose? So he did it. And guess what happened? This man ended up retiring. He had been in finance for so long that his book of business exceeded $10 million. And guess what he did when he retired? He said, hey, David, you've been such a great friend. I could have given this book of business to anybody else, but I'm giving it to you. You see what I mean? This is what kindness does. This is what I mean. If you can look with different eyes and look out and go, God, who right now can I be kind to? Because you were kind to me, I must be kind to others. I'm telling you that it will, it will unlock doors for you. But you can't just think about it. You have to do it. And in order to do it, you've got to prepare and you've got to make some plans. But being kind is a virtue that God has given you and I to live by. You'd be surprised the doors that it opens in your life. Be kind to somebody. Here's another thing that Paul expressed here. He said this, that as a chosen person, chosen by God, that we must make the decision to clothe ourselves with humility. Now, you might have a definition of humility, and I have a definition of humility, but what is the biblical definition for humility? The biblical definition for humility is this. Humility is an attitude of meekness, selflessness, and putting others before oneself. This is humility. Humility is not weakness. Humility is not you thinking higher of yourself than you should. That's not humility. But if you flip that coin, here's another thing that humility isn't. Humility isn't you thinking any lower of yourself than you should either. There has to be a balance where you go, God, I want to bridge the gap between who you say I should be and who I am today. And when you start putting some effort behind that, God says this. That God gives grace to the humble. Grace. Where he looks at your life and says, okay, you recognize where you're at. Here's the direction that I'm taking you. We're going to work on this journey together. But it takes humility. It takes humility to expose wounds and hurts that can be healed. Can you, can you imagine being in an accident? And you get put in the ambulance and you go, no, I don't want anybody to touch me. And you're, and you're just desperately hurting and in pain. It doesn't make any sense to do that. You would expose your wounds and you go, oh, yeah, I broke my arm and my leg is hurting. Why? So that the doctor can address the point of pain. Humility is that. Humility is you and I coming to Jesus with all of our brokenness, all of our frailties, all of our imperfections, all of our hangups, every, every ounce of fear and going, God, this is just where I'm at. And God's like, great, it's okay. This is where you're at today. This is not where you're going to be a year from now. But you got to be humble. 
Humility is a mighty force. Humility is expressed as meekness. And what is meekness? Meekness is you taking the essence of all the power and strength that you have and you control it. It does not control you. That's what it is. And let me tell you something about emotions and strength. If you're ruled by it instead of you ruling them, sooner or later in your life, it will embarrass you. It will embarrass you. And there's no greater example in Scripture of what humility is than the life of Jesus. There isn't, there isn't, any, there isn't any, why talk about anybody else? He was, he was the expression of humility. And I want you to picture this because we're going to read a verse here in a minute. I want you to picture this with, with me in a minute. In the book of John, it says this, speaking of God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, that he was with God at the beginning. At the beginning of time, before Genesis ever happened, there was God. Before Genesis, in the begin, before that beginning, there was God. There was Jesus and there was the Holy Spirit. All authority, power, dominion, wisdom, every ounce of anything that has ever been or will ever be created resided with them. Are you with me so far? And because God wanted to choose us so deeply, he said this, I will become Emmanuel, God with them. With them. Why with them? So that he can be in relationship, so that he can let us see what it feels like to be chosen. And then here's what we read of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. It says this. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Well, what mindset is that? Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the invitation. As somebody that has been chosen by God, let us be the kind of people that humble ourselves, that reserve strength and power for the sake of lifting somebody else up. Because in essence, that is the example that we have in Christ. So here's, here's my question to you. You ready? Here's the question. You ready? What can you do to express humility? Maybe the next time you're, you're with your team and you're talking about projects and things that have been done, instead of you spending so much time trying to elevate yourself and talk about all the great things that you did to lead the project and make, make it successful, you pick somebody else's name and you put them on the pedestal. And you talk about how much they contributed and how well of a job they did and how successful it was because of their participation. See, that's humility. And when you start to do that, when you live your life elevating others, I'm telling you right now, it's crazy the way it happens. One way or another, God will elevate you. But you got to make the decision. How are you going to be humble? What are you going to do? Practically speaking, what are you going to do? Because if you learn to do this in your life, your life will be much richer. You know what's one of the hardest areas in life to be humble with? With success. And I want you to know this about any success that God has given you. He's given it to you to use you to make a difference, not just for your namesake. You know what I don't read in, in Scripture? I've, I've never read in this Bible, and I've looked for it, okay, trust me. I've never read in this Bible where it says this, Guillermo, when you are lifted up, all men will be drawn to me. 
It's not in here. But you know what is in here? A verse that says this. When he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. Our job is to lift his name up and not ours. Be humble in what you do. Let God mold you. Be honest with him and be honest with yourself. Here's the last one and we'll finish with this. Paul also said this. Clothe yourself with gentleness. What is gentleness? Gentleness is refraining from harsh or aggressive behavior even when it is within your ability to do otherwise. That's gentleness. Gentleness is a strength that God has given you. It's meekness and humility combined together. It's being mild. It's being considerate in your demeanor. It involves having a calm and restrained spirit and showing kindness towards others. You know what's one of the hardest areas to be gentle in? Right here. Your words. The words that God has given you. The breath in your lungs that God has given you. God gave that to you so that you can build up and not tear down. And sometimes it's so easy with our words to be aggressive, to tear down instead of build up. And if we can live a life in such a way to say this, I'm going to be gentle with my words. And now don't get it twisted. I didn't say weak. It's not what I said. I said gentle. If you can learn to be gentle with your words and build up instead of tear down, your life will be much fuller. And, and, and I know that this is hard because many times we try to meet aggression with aggression. We try to meet somebody at the place that they're meeting us. And so if you're screaming, I'm going to yell just a little bit. And I'm going to get a little louder. It's funny, we were teaching, they asked me, we, we had VBS like a week ago or two weeks ago. I don't remember what day of the week it is right now. But two weeks ago we had VBS. And um, they said to me, hey, you want to come teach at VBS? And I was like, what? Y'all trying to kill me? Put me in a room with all these little piranhas? You're going to eat me alive, man. I don't want to do that. And I'm just kidding. I love the kids. But anyways, I did it, right? And I'm over there. T I'm teaching, man. And they got, they were loud, like, like how you guys are right now, right? Just so loud and obnoxious. No, I'm kidding. They were just like loud and screaming. And I couldn't even hear myself. Now, what I was tempted to do was to elevate my voice to me where they were at. But see, I didn't want to be where they were at. I wanted to be them to be where I was at. So I had to model where they should be instead of elevating myself to be in a position that I didn't want any of us to be in the first place. So here's what I did. I said, hey, guys, I'm trying to teach you something. I want to tell you about Jesus. But I don't know if you can hear me or not. And little by little, guess what happened? Oh, and if we could learn this as adults. If we can learn this as adults, that when somebody is the aggressor, that we don't have to respond that way because we're validating their position. And we don't want to be in that position. We want them to come over to our position. So, so this is why scripture says this. Are you ready? A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's, it, it's a secret. It's a secret. That when somebody starts to elevate, that you can walk in there and go, you know who I'm really scared of? Let me tell you who I'm really scared of. When, when I'm, I mean, this never happens, but if it did and I was, you know, being obnoxious and loud and strong and somebody just goes, oh, yeah? Hmm. I'm terrified. I know this person is so strong that they don't even have to meet me where I'm at. Like, can you see that? It's just a meekness. It's just a gentleness. It's a, it's a quiet undertone of strength that God has given you. 
Now, if you want to change an environment, you want to change your workplace, and you want to change the dynamics of your home, learn to be gentle. Gentle. You can get a lot more done with gentleness. It's a surgeon with a precision tool that can come in there and go, I'm only going to take out the bad, and I'm going to make sure that I keep all of the good. That's gentleness. It's an art form. And you can ask God to give you tools that you can use to remain gentle. I have them. I don't need any help getting my blood pressure up and my internal temperature up because Cubans are like this, right? We just get up, ah, ah, psh, no matter what, right? It's like I was in Florida, and uh, I took a friend over there, and, and he's like, he's looking, he's like, he's like, dude, what's going on with those people? I said, what people? He said, the people over there in the restaurant. They look like they're about to fight. And I, and I go, hold on, let, let me wait a minute. And I look and I go, dude, they're talking about the baseball game. But they're just like animated and happy and just like super exuberant. If, 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 if in your life you can learn the secret art of gentleness when everybody else is trying to be elevated, I'm telling you that you become a master craftsman in what you do. So all the things that I've talked about today on your own, impossible to do. Just can't do it. Just can't do it. I've tried. And maybe you're way better. But sooner or later, I'm telling you, it's very hard to do. It's very hard to be humble. It's very hard to be kind. It's very hard to be compassionate. It's very hard to be gentle on your own because it is contrary to what the flesh wants you and I to do. But now that you have been chosen by God and clothed with these virtues, you can do that. But let me tell you what it requires. It requires surrender. It requires surrender. It requires you in this very moment acknowledging how hard a list like this is and recognizing it that without God, we can't do it. We can't do it. And if you listen to what I was saying and you said, man, I, I am so far from that, guess what? Today is a great day for you. Because today could be the first day of the rest of your life. A day of fully sub submitted. A day of drawing near to Jesus and letting him rule and reign in your heart. So here's what I want to do really quick. I want to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to him. To come closer to him maybe than you've ever been before. So I want to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes just for a second. It doesn't really matter where you've been. The important thing is that today you're making a decision about where you're going in relationship with God, the creator of the universe that chose you to be in unity with him. And if you're in here this evening and you want to live a life clothed in kindness, compassion, gentleness, I want to pray for you this evening. If you're ready to fully surrender your life to Jesus, I want to invite you just to raise your hand real high. If you're, if you're saying, that's me. I want to live life with these virtues. Amen. I want to be kind. I want to be compassionate. I want to be gentle. I want to be humble. I want to be clothed like this. Amen. Now I want us to pray this prayer together. You ready? Say, Jesus. Come on, let me hear you, church. Say, Jesus, today I make the decision to surrender my life to you. I believe that you died on a cross and that you rose again to forgive me of my sins and to make a way for me to live in eternity with you. 
Because of you, I am saved. Amen.